Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. God bless you. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Love for you to join me in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter number 2. While you're finding your place in Luke chapter 2, did you hear about the little girl who climbed up into Santa's lap? And as usual, Santa asked the, the regular question. She said, he said, now, what do you want for Christmas? And there was a look of horror on the child's face. She just, with her mouth open. And then finally she said, you mean you didn't get my email? Reminds me of that little boy who climbed up in Santa's lap and he got up there and Santa says, what can I get you for Christmas? He says, well, Santa, he said, I want a, I want a bicycle, I want a sled, I want a chemistry set, I want a couple of trains, a baseball glove, and rollerblades. And Santa said, boy, that's a long list, son. He said, I'm going to have to check my books and make sure you've been a good boy. To which the boy said, oh, no, 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 don't, 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 don't bother checking, I'll just take the rollerblades. Several years ago, I asked Miriam, I said, honey, I said, what, what, do you, what would you like for Christmas? And she said, I don't know. Craig, she said, surprise me. I said, well, okay. So I waited till Christmas Eve until she was really fast asleep, and I climbed out of bed, and I got right over in her face, and I said, boo! Don't do that. Guys, don't, don't. I'm, look, I want to be your pastor. I want to help you. Don't do that to your wives. That's not a good Christmas present, I, I know from experience. But she got me back. She did. She got me back. She asked me, she said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I don't know. I said, I really, what I really want is I want something the whole family can get something out of. So she bought me a wallet. I really, I really like Charlie Brown. Uh, Charlie Brown is probably at Christmas one of my favorite characters. As a matter of fact, huge controversy this year over Charlie Brown. I mean, they took the Charlie Brown Christmas off, and uh, the world just went in an uproar in the United States. I mean, just absolutely went, they went crazy. It started with the, with the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and then went into the Charlie Brown Christmas. And finally, it was such an uproar, they put Charlie Brown back on the television. I, I wish we would get that passionate about the Word of God in prayer, uh, and we'd make a difference in our world. But thank God, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas made it back on, on the air. It's important because Linus, in, in Charlie Brown's Christmas, he talks about Luke chapter 2. In fact, he, he quotes Luke chapter 2 verbatim uh, out of the King James. Uh, but one of my favorite characters in Charlie Brown is Charlie Brown himself. And Charlie Brown's got a catchphrase. Brother David, he's always saying, good grief. I mean, regardless of what happens. You know, Lucy jerks the ball out from under him. Good grief. Uh, he looks up there, and there's his dog hanging Christmas lights on his doghouse. He says, a dog hanging Christmas lights. Good grief. And then and he goes to find a tree. Can't find the right tree. Good grief. He's always saying, good grief, good grief, good grief. We are, we're living, 2020 was a good grief year. Would you agree with that? 
I mean, you think about what happened with the coronavirus. I mean, we shake our heads and go, good grief. We think about what happened in regards uh, to uh, the election and how America can't even count votes. We say, good grief. Uh, we look at uh, the morality of our culture today, and we shake our heads and say, good grief. In fact, you may be feeling, and you may be experiencing a good grief year personally. You, you may feel like you've been beat with a stick this year, and you look back at this year and you go, good grief. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like the world's against you and all you want to say is good grief? Uh, like nothing ever goes your way? Good grief. Like God's turned away from you and you just go, man, is he turned away? Good grief, what's going on here? Uh, maybe it's your financial problems. Maybe your health problems. Maybe your marital problems. Maybe your, uh, the, maybe your job problems or your car problems. Maybe any of those things make you just look and go, good grief. When we think about Luke chapter 2 and we think about the Christmas story, we can't help but think about this was a good grief season. As a matter of fact, when you read Luke chapter 2 and you put it in the context historically, you can't help but go, good grief, man, that is some, that's some crazy stuff. And as a narrative, when you look at this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2, as a narrative, you see that it basically has three movements or three acts. This morning, I want us to look at the Christmas story, and I want us to see these three movements or these three acts, and I want you to see how it moves from a position of good grief to a position of good news. And then, and then here's the challenge I want to set for you today. Whatever is causing you in your life to say good grief, I want you to move from that good grief to good news. That, that's the goal of the sermon today, so... If you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, let me show you the very first thing here in the text. The first act, the first movement in this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2 is the first three verses. In the first three verses, we see the tyrant. The tyrant. Look at what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1 of Luke chapter 2. The Scripture says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Caesar Augustus is, we're introduced to Caesar Augustus here, and there's no doubt his political platform makes us even cringe today. He announces to the Roman Empire, read my lips, new taxes for everyone. In verse number 1 and all the way through verse number 3, we see that the decree that he made out was in such a way that he wanted everyone to go to their hometown. As a matter of fact, if you're reading the New King James, you see in that passage of Scripture, he uses the term registered. The term tax there in verse number 1 is giving us the idea that in order for them to pay taxes, there had to be this some form of registration, this census, if you would. In effect, what Caesar is saying here, Caesar Augustus is saying, I need to know how many people are in the empire so that I can know how much to tax you. Of course, the difference between Caesar, Caesar Augustus and the modern presidents is that Caesar was not elected by the people. Nor did he have term limits. He was kind of like a, a king or an emperor, if you would. And he could do whatever he wanted. And here, he wanted to tax the people. And in order to do that, he needed to get them to register to take part in 
the census. Again, if you're reading the New King James, you see that uh, the name of Caesar Augustus is Quirius. The direct translation is giving us the idea that it was Caesar Augustus himself. And let me say just a little bit about Caesar Augustus historically, if I could. His real name, Caesar Augustus' real name, is Gaius Octavius. Gaius Octavius. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And so when Julius Caesar died, Octavius became the emperor. With it became his position, Caesar. So he could have been known and should have been known as Octavius Caesar. Just like his father that adopted him's name was Julius Caesar. However... Octavius had quite an ego, and he was very proud, and he was a very arrogant man, and he wanted to be greater than any other Caesar that was before him. And so he got approval from the Roman Senate to drop his name, Octavius, and add the name Augustus. Augustus means majesty. His name means divinity. So Augustus, by dropping Octavius and putting the term Augustus, he's carrying the idea that he is one of the gods, little g. And so Caesar Augustus, by its literal translation, means Caesar, God. Here's a man who, in essence, was proclaiming himself to be God. And that's part of the reason why he wanted to be taxed, or he wanted to tax uh, the people so heavily. He figured that a god should live a life of luxury and ease. And that the people, that is his subjects, should pay for these luxuries, so he taxed them very heavily. He did not care how heavy the tax burden was upon the people. And he didn't care that his methods of registration caused great disappointment and discouragement and disruption in the lives of his subjects. He did not care that by forcing the people to return to their hometowns to register, he was forcing them to go on long journeys and possibly uproot their families and even quite possibly lose their jobs. The very jobs that were providing the income for them to pay their taxes. He didn't care. He didn't care if people were sick. He didn't care if people were old. He just didn't care. It didn't matter to him if the subjects of the empire were, were greatly inconvenienced by his decree. He just wanted their money. He did whatever he wanted. And if the people didn't like it, it didn't matter. He had a, a huge, vast army to deal with any uprisings that might take place. But we find in the story, in the midst of this tyrant, we're introduced, if you would, and made known that Mary and Joseph are going, if you would, to Bethlehem. And verse number 4 says, And Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of God, or the house and lineage of David. So we see Mary and Joseph here submitted themselves, even in the midst of this tyrant, even in the midst of this misery, even in the midst of this uh, having to go and register in their hometown. We find that they did it without complaining. They submitted without any arguing. We see that they did exactly what the tyrant wanted them to do. This brings us to the second movement of this great narrative. We go from a period of good grief. My goodness, look what's going on in the midst of this culture. Good grief, what's happening to good news. So we move from the area of tyrant that says, good grief, he is, a, he is awful. And then we move to the second point, and that is the troubles. 
In verses 4 through 7, we move from good grief, there's the tyrant, to good grief. Look at all these troubles. What do you mean? Look at what the Bible says in verse 4. The Bible says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Here we find they experience so many troubles as they make their way to Bethlehem. I'm sure I won't be able to cover all of them, but let me point out a couple of troubles that Mary and Joseph experienced. First of all, in verse number 4, the Bible says they went out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city which is called David or which is known in the community as Bethlehem. They had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That trip we know by way of mileage that it was 80 miles. It's 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Today, we can jump in our car and we can go 80 miles in an hour and an hour and a half, depending upon who's driving. But without cars, it's quite a distance for anyone who's traveling. That 80 miles was especially a hard journey, a several-day journey for those that were sick, those that were weary, especially those that were greatly pregnant. This is not the ideal time to go on an 80-mile journey. If that's not enough trouble, the second trouble we learn here is that Joseph is of the house and lineage of David. Now, at first reading, you'll say, well, that's not too much trouble, is it? Well, think about this just for a minute. We all want to be a descendant of some famous person. Joseph was the descendant of one of the most uh, famous Israelites in the town, in the time, in the place. He was a descendant of King David, the most popular, the most well-known, the most influential, the most loved king of all time. And that's a good thing. But the trouble comes when you realize that this direct descendant of, of the royal line of David is being pushed around by an egotistical, pagan, selfish Caesar thousands of miles away. If we were Joseph, we would probably demand our rights. If we were Joseph, we would probably have written an editorial. If we were Joseph, we probably would have called our congressman. If we were Joseph, we probably would have passed around a petition, asked everyone to sign it, and then we would have taken a picture of our pregnant wife and said, look what this big dummy is trying to get us to do. We cannot believe it. We would have even picketed. We'd have been so upset. We would have passed around a picture and say, look, we cannot believe that, that Caesar Augustus is making us travel 80 miles. It's just not fair. We would have raised enough money for an outcry itself. We would have hired a lawyer. We would have tried to take it to the Roman government. We would have done everything in our power to say, this is wrong. Maybe we would have said that because we were of the royal line of David. And we would have said, these laws do not apply to us because we are of a royal bloodline but not Joseph. He took it all in stride. Literally, he put a sign on his carpentry shop door which said, went to be taxed, we'll be back soon. He packed a suitcase. He got a donkey for Mary, Mary who was ready to deliver this child. And he set out for Bethlehem. That's it. No complaining, just obedience. 
And of course, all the things got worse finally when they arrived in Bethlehem because the journey went much slower than they thought it was going to be. As she's great with child, they couldn't go very fast. And by the time they made it to Bethlehem, they realized that everybody had gotten there before they had gotten there. Everyone had filled the city. They had taken up all the hotels, the motels, the inns, so much so that Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, there was no room for them in the inn. It can't get much worse than this for Joseph. He has to leave his home. He's got to close his shop. He has to go 80 miles. He feels so bad that he can't take care of his pregnant wife. Could it be that Joseph says, good grief, can it get any worse than this? Then on top of it all, when he arrives in Bethlehem, he realizes all the inns are full and he didn't make any reservations good grief what's going on here he feels so awful at this point in his life nothing's going the way he hoped it was going all the plans to provide food and shelter and safety for his new wife all out the doors he can't even find a place for them to lay their head and they're soon to be child which is going to be born at any moment has nowhere to be born. The problem he's facing is beyond anything we ever know or deal with. Could it be that he ever said, good grief? At his wit's end, he doesn't know what to do. He feels ashamed and depressed. He feels angry at Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus for making him do all this. Other times, what if he was, I wonder if he was ever angry at God for allowing this to happen. Sometimes he just wants to throw in the towel and quit. You ever feel that way? If you looked at 2020 and said, Good grief, I want to throw in the towel. But one thing we know about Joseph, watch this. He didn't. He didn't throw in the towel. In fact, the Bible says he pressed on. Even though sometimes it doesn't look like it. And there are often times it doesn't feel like it. Joseph knew a principle that is true throughout the course of Scripture. And that is, number one, God loves you. And number two, he's in control. And so knowing that God still loves him, and knowing that God's in control, he works from a position of obedience. Besides Joseph, Mary came to that same conclusion. And if anyone had something to complain about, it was her. How many of you ladies that are here today, when you were nine months pregnant, want to go on an 80-mile journey that takes several days? And then in the end, rather than get a hot meal and a comfortable bed, you only get a stack of hay in a barn, which you share with a few cows and horses. The stable, by the way, is probably not a stable that we think of today by the way of a barn, but it is a, a cave. It's a cave where, that you're in with horses and cows. But, but then to make matters worse, while Mary's trying to make this dirty cave feel a little bit more like home, all of a sudden something happens and she goes, uh-oh. Oh, no. Oh, not now. No, not, 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 not here. Think about it, ladies. Can you imagine? Here she is, and knowing that she's about to give birth, and now she's having contractions. Maybe she prayed to God and said, God, can this wait just a few days, just until we can get to just a little bit of cleaner place? God, you gave me this child. You can also postpone the delivery of this child. Would you just wait? But God didn't wait. You see, God's ways are not our ways. And what you think is a trial in your life, God may be using to bring about great glory. 
God had his reasons and his purpose for having his son in this lowly, dirty stable. And baby Jesus was born there. And it appears from the verse that she didn't have any help. There were no doctors. There were no midwives. There was, there was no help. Just Mary and the animals. It could be, and some scholars have been uh, discussing this, that it could be that Joseph wasn't there either. When she started having contractions, some scholars say that he went out to get a midwife. He went out to, to see if he could find some help, get, get some fresh water, uh, get some, some, some linen cloths, to get some things that were necessary and that were needed because Mary was about to, to give birth. So some say Joseph wasn't even there. M maybe he, he was uh, just uh, taking care of, of things and, and he just wasn't there. And the fact of the matter is we see loneliness in verse 7. Man, it's hard to say. But Mary probably cried. Remember, she's no more than 17 years old. Some say she's as young as 14. Uh, this was not the way she wanted to give birth to her firstborn child. Uh, this is not what she was expecting. By the time Joseph got there, he may have started crying too. Can you believe what we've gone through, honey? Good grief. Look at where we're at. He must have felt completely useless. He must have felt completely helpless. He couldn't do anything about the current situation. Boy, those were terrible emotions to have. Have you ever had that in your life where you just say, good grief? According to Luke chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says she gave birth. And the Bible says, Mary wrapped the newborn babe in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Again, the... Manger is not the best crib in any way. Uh, it didn't have any safety features, no soft mattress. He didn't have baseball uh, uh, linens on the bed or, or a football pillowcase. It's just a feeding trough for animals to lay in. That was it. Again, something uh, I'm sure distressed both Mary and Joseph. They probably sang Jesus to sleep and, and quite possibly could have sang the song, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. They couldn't help but think about as they gazed down at the child that somehow, some way, everything's going to be all right. And in fact, although they didn't know it, the swaddling clothes that they had wrapped the baby in were a symbol of something very important that was going to take place uh, in days to come. You see, swaddling clothes are strips of linen which were, are, were wrapped around tightly in newborn babes. In fact, uh, they would straighten out their legs. They wouldn't let the babies get in the fetal position. They would straighten their legs out. They thought that if they put those swaddling clothes around the legs and straighten the legs out, they thought that this would help the baby grow strong and have straighter legs. But it's, interesting. it's an interesting picture here because when Jesus turns 33 years of age, Jesus will be wrapped in again what looks like swaddling clothes, linens placed around him as they lay him in the tomb. In both instances, these things change drastically. In both instances at Jesus' birth and three days after his death, just when the night was the darkest, just when those who loved Jesus, his parents at his birth and his disciples at his death, just about the time this happens, they begin to wonder if God had forgotten them. And they say, good grief. And then all of a sudden, the good news begins to shine. And they go from good grief to good news as the angels begin to announce. And in verses 8 through 20, 
we see that in an uncaring tyrant such as Caesar Augustus, which caused so much trouble in Act 2 for, the, for Mary and Joseph. But they endured without complaining. They kept their focus upon God. They did not become bitter. And as a result, God acted in their behalf. And everything changes in verses 8 through 20 as we move from good grief to good news. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. This took place sometime in September. And it's, it's also true uh, around Bethlehem that that's the only place in in the land of Israel where flocks could be kept, especially those flocks of sheep that were used in temple services. These shepherds, in fact, were watching Passover lambs that would later be sacrificed later that year. So it's appropriate that they're about to go look at the ultimate Passover lamb as they will see later in his life. Jesus, the Passover lamb, lay in a manger. He is born. The Messiah takes place. And in verse number 9, the Bible says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. Dear brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when we see fear come upon these people, when they encounter angels, every time, every time an angel shows up, somebody gets afraid. It's hardly ever the scene when an angel shows up and somebody's not afraid. It's never a time of peace and tingly goosebumps as some people want you to believe today. No, many scholars believe that this angel was Michael. And at this point of the story, he's the only angel that has appeared to the shepherds. And he says, listen, the angel of the Lord stood him and said, glory! And the Bible says they were sore afraid. In verse 10 through 12, the Bible, the Bible tells us that the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angel tells the shepherds about the birth of Christ and that he will be a savior. And how to find them. In verse 13 and 14 the Bible says. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Praising God and saying. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace. goodwill towards men. Isn't it interesting though. That Caesar Augustus. The one who wanted to be hailed as God. Through his own selfish set of emotions. He put in place the, the, the truth. That God would have happen all through the land and peace would come to the earth but not the peace that Caesar Augustus was thinking history tells us that Caesar Augustus was praised for inaugurating worldwide peace but we know that it was not an everlasting peace L listen to this the stoic philosopher Epictetus said this and I quote it's written he is a historian he wrote this about uh, Caesar Augustus quote while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, which man yearns more than ever for outward peace. Oh, did you hear what that philosopher said? He said the peace that's more important than the surrounding peace of this land is the peace an individual might have in their heart. And the only peace, the only thing that will bring that kind of peace is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. 
And the angel proclaimed that Christ will bring peace. Peace doesn't come through money. Peace doesn't come through power. Peace doesn't come through an emperor. Peace doesn't come through a president. Peace comes through humility and service and submitting yourself, if you would, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can bring peace. Many people ask today, they talk about this issue of peace and wanting worldwide peace and we need peace and we need to just get on and and love each other and have peace dear brothers and sisters as long as we live in a sin sick world rejecting God forsaking the word of God rejecting the message of God there'll never be peace let me clarify the angel's message during the Christmas season we see heavenly Christmas carols plastered all over Christmas cards and storefronts and all over uh, billboards but it, it, it does not mean what most people think it means when we see the angels say or glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill towards men that does not mean that Jesus came to bring peace to this world as a matter of fact when you when you study this word, goodwill, you'll, you'll note that it says that the, the peace that the Messiah is bringing is peace towards men who are in God's will. That's the peace. Jesus didn't come to bring peace the first time. He came to bring salvation. And so you see, Jesus didn't come to bring peace to the entire earth and to all people. Oh, oh, to be sure, he is offering peace. Whosoever will shall be saved. He wants everybody to experience the peace. But the only way to experience the peace is you've got to come to Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22, God says that there's no peace for the wicked. We live in a wicked, sinful world. And all, all of those who live in this wickedness and sin, they'll never have peace. The only way to have peace is to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And the only way to have that peace is to believe upon Him, to confess your sins and trust Him as your personal Savior and Lord. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is available. It's available to you today if you're a person who's in God's will. Probably the number one question throughout the course of the year that I get is, well, what is God's will, Pastor? What is God's will? God's will is to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And a lot of times we want to rush by that and say, well, that's not the will I'm talking about. I want to know God's will for my life. Dear brothers and sisters, when you boil it down, all the way down to its basics, that is the will of God. In John chapter 6, some people come to Jesus and they say, what must we do uh, to do the works of God? In essence, they say this, what is the will of God? And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. He says, this is the will of my Father, that you believe on Him whom the Father hath sent. That's it. That's God's will. God's will wants you to know that you have eternal life. And that eternal life can only come through Jesus Christ. Do you want peace? The only way to have eternal peace is to come to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. In verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste 
and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. The angels disappeared. They went back to heaven. But we find here the shepherds look at each other and say, let's go. Let's get out of here. And the Bible says that they came with haste. This is the first Christmas rush. They go and they find that Christ child. And what's fascinating to me is that they didn't ask for directions. They knew where all the stables were. They went from stable to stable, could it be? And they were asking, where's the Christ child? Where's the Christ child? Well, there's only one stable we know that gave birth tonight. And it wasn't a cow, and it wasn't a camel, it wasn't a horse. It was a baby. And it's right over there on 3rd Street. We would note that the angels didn't appear to kings. The angel didn't appear to the mayor of Bethlehem. It didn't appear to the religious leaders of Bethlehem. It appeared, the angel appeared to the shepherds. Just lowly shepherds. Shepherds were outcast. The reason why they were outcast is because they handled sheep. They were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't get to the temple on time. And they couldn't get to the temple much at all. They were taking care of the temple sacrifices. So in taking care of those temple sacrifices, it made them unclean. It made them dirty. It made them dingy. They would be out there for months on end. And so nobody wanted anything to do with it. The angel showed up to them to say, Look, God is for everybody. And God loves you. And God is providing a way for you to get back to Him. And that's His Son, Jesus. And He's born in Bethlehem. The fulfillment has taken place. And the Messiah has come. Verse 17 says, Now when they had seen Him... They made widely known the saying which was told of them concerning the Christ. We see that the shepherds became the first Christian evangelists in this time. The first witnesses to spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus. When they saw Jesus, they could not help but keep silent. They could not help but to go and to talk about him. They told everyone that they met. Again, the lesson is for us. May we be like the shepherds. And as soon as we hear and understand God's will, we act upon God's will, receive Christ as our Savior, and go about pleasing him and letting our lives bring him glory, honor, and praise. Brothers and sisters, if you want to move from good grief to good news, know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Verse 18, the Bible says, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told by the shepherds. The key idea after all this is we see obedience. We find the obedience of Mary and Joseph we find the obedience of the angels. We find the obedience of the shepherds and the obedience of Jesus himself. God made flesh to dwell among us. And then the Bible gives us an amazing insight in verses 19 and 20 of the text. The scripture tells us in verse number 19, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. For all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told of them. If you want to move your life from a position of good grief to good news, we see that we first got to understand that we're living in a world with a tyrant. The tyrant of this world is none other than the devil himself. The devil uses our culture to push upon us as born-again children of God. 
and to work us up in such a frizzy that if we're born again, if we know Jesus as Savior, we take our eyes off of God and we put them upon our problems. And we look at the challenges of this life. And that moves us from a position of the tyrant to the troubles. And we think about how bad it is in 2020 with the coronavirus. How bad it is with uh, we couldn't have regular Thanksgiving. We can't have regular Christmas. We can't do this. I'm sick. I'm hurting. I'm in trouble. Oh, listen, all these are terrible. They're bad things. But listen, don't, don't fall for the trick of the enemy. Don't take your gaze off of God. Gaze upon God and only glance at your problems because he's going to work all things for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Mary clearly understood this. And if you're going to move from good grief to good news, you must do these three things in verses 19 and 20. Number one, the first thing you got to do is ponder. You see what Mary did? The Bible says Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. In the midst of this terror, in the midst of this tyrant. She knew that God was in control and she kept it in her heart. In the midst of the long journey, in the midst of getting there and not having a place to stay, in the midst of giving birth in a cave, in the midst of putting her baby in a manger, she kept it in her heart. This is God's way. He's going to take care of me. She pondered it in her heart. If you want to move from good grief to good news, you got to ponder the truth in your heart. What's the truth? God is going to take care of you. Number two, if you're going to move from good grief to good news, not only do you need to ponder and keep things in your heart, you also need to praise God. Notice what the Bible says in verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. You've got to praise God. In the midst of your challenge, you've got to exercise James chapter 1. Now, I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was easy. In fact, it's the hardest, one of the hardest things you'll ever do as a born-again child of God. Don't you listen to these crazy preachers out there, out there got lace on their underwear, wanting to tickle your ears, trying to tell you you come to Jesus Christ, everything will be hunky-dunky. It'll just be wonderful. You ain't going to have any problems. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to have wealth and prosperity. Everything's just going to be so... Don't you listen to that mess. You come to Jesus Christ, it'll be the hardest thing you'll ever experience. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus, called by God, a virgin, between the ages of 14 and 17, make an 80-mile journey, several days long. The hard times, every... You, bless God, you know she felt every bump on that road from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I bet she had to pull over every 15 minutes to go to the bathroom. She felt it. But she kept pondering it in her heart. And then when the angels heard, they just kept praising God. In the midst of the trouble that they experienced, in the midst of knowing that they were unclean, that nobody wanted them around, they couldn't even go worship God, yet God appears to them and say, Look, I'll give you an opportunity to worship. I hope you'll notice that in the midst of trouble, that's the perfect time to praise. They praise God. And then number three, here's the third thing. You want to move from good grief to good news. Ponder the truth in your heart. God's not done with you. He's not done with us yet. We ain't dead yet. 
Number two, praise God in the midst of a challenging situation, in the midst of distress and heartache. Praise God. Number three, proclaim the truth. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, as it was told unto them. You see, there were some shepherds that heard what happened that didn't see what happened. But they heard it. And when they heard it, it was just like they saw it. For us uh, country folks, it's just like they seen it. The fact of the matter is, is I know it's not good English, but I'd rather hear a preacher say he's seen something when he really seen it to say he saw something didn't see anything at all. And the fact of the matter is they, they, they seen it. They seen what happened. And it motivated them and moved them to tell somebody else. If you want to move from good grief to good news, you ponder things in your heart. You proclaim praise to Jesus. You, you praise Jesus and you proclaim the truth to others. Dear brothers and sisters, can I ask you this question in closing? If you're here today, if you're like me, you've looked at 2020, 2020 and said, Good grief. Can this thing get any worse? And all that has done is caused me to take my gaze off God and to put it on our problems. Yeah. Oh, we can't meet in Sunday school. Unless God got to wear a mask at that 8 o'clock service. It's just dumb. Oh, we got, we got to do that. We got to do this. We got to do this. God is my witness. God, I want to shepherd your flock properly. This isn't my church. This is your church. What can I do to minister to your people? Shane, you got to move from a position of good grief to a position of good news. In order to do that, you've got to ponder the truth in your heart. Here's the truth, church. We're still the bride of Christ. All right. Number two, you've got to praise God. I want you to look around today. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a small spike in our area, look how many people has come to worship God. We come to praise Him today. Number three, we will proclaim. Fact of the matter is, we're going to leave this place. And bless God, every one of us is going to be hungry. Can I get a witness right there? We're going to be hungry. I know I am. i got to preach one more time. I'm going to be hungry when it's all said and done. On the way to eat, whether it be the Mexican restaurant, Cracker Barrel, uh, Applebee's, whatever's open, there's going to be people that are going to be looking at this world from a position of good grief. And you're going to blindside them when you come with a position of good news. I love Christmas. I love all the things of Christmas. I, I enjoy every bit of it. I, it's one of my favorite, favorite times of year. I love the stories. I, I love when my kids were... I got big kids now. All my kids are... John Gray just had a birthday. My, my, my baby is 14 
years old. And so it's, it's all changed. It's all different. all different. Everybody's growing up. Growing up. But I used to love on Christmas morning, they're all getting up and not a care in the world. All they want to see is what presents they have under the tree. They're not thinking about any of the bad things that are happening in our culture. They're not thinking about the tyrant of a culture. They're not thinking about the troubles of our day. All they're thinking about is playing with those little toys. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, much like a child, we've set aside December 25th as the day where we stop and we focus, not, listen, not upon Santa. Santa even will fall at the face of Jesus. Not the trees, not the lights, not the snowmen, not the elf on the shelf, but the baby in the manger. And we focus on the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's move from a position of good grief to a position of good news. Would you bow in prayer with me? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Preacher... I got to confess, it's been a good grief year for me. I've struggled. I've had family problems. I've had marital problems. I had job problems. I mean, I, I got problems all over the place. And I focused on them, and I've taken my focus off of Jesus. I don't read my Bible like I should, I don't pray like I should. I know it's difficult because we don't have our small group Bible studies right now. And that's hurt my relationship with the Lord. I don't feel like I don't have community right now. Dear friend, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you search your heart? Are you living a good grief life? Are you wore out by it? Then let's change it to good news, Christian. Right where you're sitting today, if you're a born-again child of God, if you're saved, you're a Christian, you want to move from good grief to good news, I'm going to ask you right now, in your heart, would you ponder the truth? Would you thank God for saving you right now? Would you just think about that? Would you thank God? God, thank you for saving me. Would you praise God today? Father, will you th I want to thank you. I want to praise you today for the Messiah. And then here's the third one. Would you proclaim? Would you proclaim that you're getting right with the Lord? And you're going to be faithful to Him. Maybe you're here today and you say, Well, preacher, I'm not saved. I, I can't do that. I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Here's what I ask you to do. And, I, and my time's up. We're going to stand and sing. If you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I, I don't know if I were to die today. I don't know where I'd go. I think I probably would go to hell. I'm not right with God. Not only am I living in a good grief world, I mean, that's my life. Dear friend, I want to ask you to do something right now, right where you're at. From your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, I ask you to save my soul. I repent of my sins, and I trust you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.